welcome to this episode of More Shenanigans, starring James and Donna Moore. I'm James Moore. I'm Donna Moore. And you have stumbled upon the podcast where an interracial couple in their 50s talk about everything under the sun. So, darling, what are we going to talk about today? Well, uh, we are going to talk about some things that a listener would like for us to discuss today. So, basically, the background of who we are as a couple and maybe a little bit of a background of who we are as individuals. So, success, we have listeners. (laughs) Yes, we have. So far as I know, we have at least five listeners. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, well, so what are the questions? So, uh, I'd love to hear how you two got together. How did your relationship evolve? How did family and friends think at that time? How has it changed being an interracial couple over the years? Okay, we need to tell this listener, number one, this is just a half-hour show. (laughs) That's a lot of material. There's going to be two shows. So I talk fast. I think we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So so the first question uh, basically was, how did your relationship evolve? Um, well, <laughs> our relationship started out very, very non-traditionally. Why? Why would you say that? In many, many ways. Um, we were a very young, worldly couple, and worldly say, meaning that we were living deeply in the world. <laughs> like we, um, I was a single mother with two children uh, by two different fathers at the time. I come from a relatively normal background, Midwestern family, uh, divorced parents, trying to find my way in the world and made some mistakes. The mistakes that I made created two beautiful children. And I was just living life and raising my children and, you know, trying to have a little bit of fun here and there. Decided to go out one night with some girlfriends and at a nightclub locally in South Dakota near Ellsworth. Air Force Base, where James was stationed, and that's where I met him. Uh, 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 uh. You're forgetting that we met twice. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, (laughs) once by phone. And then we found out after the fact that we did meet once, a, I don't know, maybe a year before, a couple like, years was before. Was it that long? Yeah, something like that. Maybe was, a year. I think it was oh, just a matter of months. Yeah, maybe. Because I wasn't in South Dakota very long. Well, that's true. That's true. Okay. So, yeah, on my side of things, I was a, a lonely lieutenant surrounded by other lonely lieutenants, and some not so lonely because they were married. And... um the wives of one of the uh, lieutenants, or captain, actually, in this case, I went baking to her and said, don't you know anybody? Don't you know any women that I can date and go out with? And she actually said, yeah, there's somebody I work with at the Red Lobster, and she's um, somebody that you might be interested in. And I was like, okay, great. So I call her up, talk to her, didn't like her, never called her again. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That, that's, that's what happened when I called Donna for the very first time. Listen, I'm going to be very transparent here and say and tell every all the listeners why he didn't like me, and it was a legitimate reason not to like me. We were speaking on the phone. Uh, my friend Heather was was the young lady, and she told me that he was a black guy. I was speaking with him on the phone, and I didn't hear the stereotypical, and I'm using quotation fingers right now, voice on the phone that I thought would sound like a black person. Now, now that I'm a mature thinking and a matured woman, I understand that that is a ridiculous stereotype. However, at the time, I literally asked him, are you sure you're black? Heather <laughs> told me you were black. At and the time, he literally <laughs> pretty much hung up on me, which he should have done. Yeah, at the time, I was pretty sure I was black. And... Uh, <laughs> But looking looking back on things, I can see if you're you know listening for hey baby what's that and, and when you actually get Jerry Lewis, that just 
that you're in question that, you know, is this a hoax? Is she going to wake out of coffee? You know, what's going on? But, um, you are not Jerry Lewis Thomas. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, do, do I really want to go out with this woman who's just, I just want to date me just because I'm black. Because, right. you know, there's a lot of that going around. It was very trendy back in the 90s yeah. for white girls to, especially on a military base, very trendy to find black guys to date for some women. That that was not where my brain was because I didn't think like that and never have thought like that, but it was a very trendy thing. So I understand his uh, thought of, yeah, okay, I'm done. Yeah, I I did miss the meeting, though, of the you know, Black Men of America when that showed at that time that we were trending up. But uh, <laughs> right. regardless of that, a few months later, and I, I do believe it was a few months later, yeah. um, I met Donna in the club and was attracted to one of her friends and, and asked her to dance. And she said no. So you guys out there that know the rules, hear the rules at the club. I mean, I don't think that they've changed because they, ever since cavemen have gone to the cave club, this is the rule. If you go to a group of girls and ask one of them to dance and she says no, you don't ask anybody else in the group unless you are a glutton for rejection. Because every single one of them is going to turn you down. Or the one that says yes is the person you don't want. So you're, you're in a no-win scenario. It's the Kopriyashi Maru if you <laughs> what's uh, what. One girl says, no, you just back away. So that's what I did. I backed away. But Donna, to this day, resents me for that. <laughs> no, I don't resent him for that. Um, but I, who am not a drinker, have never been a drinker, had drank a little alcohol that night. And so my inhibitions were, you know, not there. <laughs> and I was like, what am I, chopped liver? Literally, that's what I said to him. I know that's ridiculous, right? And he was, and he literally said, well, I can't ask you to dance because I just, well, you know, whatever. Anyway, we ended up dancing. Then we ended up going out for breakfast that night after the club. With all her friends who were hungry. And they all ate. Well, there were two of them. They ate. I did not eat. And then we took my friends home. And he, in his infinite wisdom, uh, sent his ride home. Said, I don't, I don't need a ride. I'm good. I, I got a ride. He didn't ask me if he could ride with me. He just made the assumption. Yeah. Um, and so I took him back to his place and we hung out for a little bit. And then. Hung out means make out. Yep. <laughs> on the couch. Yep. And then he wanted to show me his pool table in the basement. And I said, oh, no, I am not going to be a floating head in the jar. I'm leaving. And I bounced. Yeah, I didn't know the rule about don't offer to show your pool table that's in the basement, basement you know, with the other mason jars with body parts in it. <laughs> young women will run out the and she ran out the door like she her hair was on fire. I was like, okay, I'm never going to see her again. Yeah, and but the next morning I called him because at the time I was a poor single mother and I did not have a telephone. So I told him I didn't have a phone and he gave me his number and he didn't believe me that I didn't have a phone because, you know. That's the line. That's the right. line you get when you don't want to. But I called him the next morning at work or on his cell phone. No, he didn't have cell phones back then. No, you called me on a Sunday at home. Oh, that's right. Okay. See, I don't remember all the details because that was 31 years ago. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So And then we just kind of started hanging out. And well, let me say, when you called, I wasn't exp I wasn't expecting Donna's call again. Uh, ran out the house, never expected to see her again. And when she called and said, "I'm Donna," I said, I ran through all the Donnas in my head, which was zero. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, who, "Who could this possibly be?" And she said, 
Donna from the club, you remember, I was like, oh, that Donna, the Donna that was actually telling the truth said that she would call me. Hmm, maybe I should try and hang on to this one. And that was March of 1991. Mm-hmm. And in August of 1991. That was March of 1991? Uh-huh. And March of 19, uh, that was March of 1991, August of 1991. And I'll give you just a couple seconds to do the math on that. We got married. Yes. Because I was Six doing, months to the day. I was doing nothing else that weekend. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there was nothing on TV. And he, the reason that we got married, basically, we thought we loved each other. I mean, how do we really know at... I think it was 1990. Six months, no. Yeah. It was 91 because because we moved to North Carolina at Christmas of 92. Oh, okay. Um, we, we thought we loved each other, but how do you really know only knowing somebody for six months? Keeping in mind that I was a single mother, so he came he came to a ready-made family. And we decided to get married because he had gotten new orders. And his new orders were a year in the Philippines and then three years in Hawaii. And but, she really wanted to go to Hawaii. So. It was going to be a free trip to Hawaii. I mean, what do I say? <laughs> and I love to get married. That's right. Um, so we decided to go ahead and get married, and then he was going to go to the Philippines and then come back from there, and then we were going to go all of the all four of us were going to go to Hawaii. Well, that didn't happen because mm-hmm. of some unforeseen circumstances. Um, act of God. Act of God, meaning a volcano blew up and wiped out the base in the Philippines. In the Philippines. Yeah, look um, up Clark Air Force Base. You'll yeah. see that there's nothing there now. <laughs> That's right. So because Clark Air Force Base got wiped off the face of the earth because of a volcano blowing up, the Air Force didn't want to send us to Hawaii. I didn't understand why that couldn't happen. <laughs> but hey, they said it wasn't going to happen. So my husband was a lieutenant in the Air Force, literally without a job. He did not have a job to do. He would go to work. They would salute him and say, as you were, and he would straighten the newspapers and then go home. Your tax dollars at work. Right. And then finally, he got a a new job in Illinois at Scott Air Force Base in Illinois, which is literally in the middle of a cornfield. So we lived there for a year. And then uh, President Clinton was balancing the budget. And he did a great job of balancing the budget. But how he did that was to decrease military budget. And part of decreasing military budget was to take out the people that got paid the most in the military. And those are officers. And so my husband was rifted reduction in force from the Air Force after four years, and we were literally homeless and jobless in 92. Yes, and let me tell you this. When I was called into Colonel Lampy's office to find out that I had gotten rifted, and this is something that I think didn't think was a high probability because I had a two-star general write and sign my retention letter, and I got to read this letter before it went out. Basically, he said that was his long-lost son. You can't get rid of him. <laughs> You know, we all love him here. You, you can't do that. And a two-star general advocate, you know, that's it. And I was in a, the class where there was a 15% chance of me being rifted. I had just gotten into the Air Force. But uh, Colonel Lampy called me into his office, and he was a blunt kind of guy. So he hit me right between the eyes with, you are rifted. Bye. You have to be off the base in a few months. Bye. 31 December. 31 December. And he's telling me this in, was it August? August. Uh, Yes, it was the end of summer, and I was thoroughly convinced that when I got home to tell my wife of, you know, we've been married 30 minutes, <laughs> something like that. Some, a short amount of time, that she was going to say, well, hey, I got, I got in this game so I could go to Hawaii, and you screwed that up. <laughs> I'm taking my kids and going back to South Dakota. I was sure that she was going to say that. She didn't say that, but we did sit down and cry for a little bit. You know, what are we going to do? We gave ourselves permission to cry for, like, maybe, I don't know, half an hour, and then we had to come up with plan B. 
What else are you going to do? You already done crying. You got to live somewhere. You got to eat. You got to feed your kids. You figure out what you're going to do by coming up with a plan B. So um, that long story, we're going to kind of cut off there because I think we've well established our relationship because if you hook up with someone and they're the true love of your life and you have disaster come down upon you, that will solidify oh, a relationship. Yeah, that will solidify a relationship like nobody's business. So I think that's part of the, the strength that we have. Absolutely. So that answers the question of how did we get together? Uh, one of the other questions was how did family and friends think at the time? It, it was difficult because everything was done long distance. We did not involve family in the wedding. We got married at the Justice of the Peace at the courthouse in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, his mother was very upset, mm. understandably so. I totally understand now why she was upset. I was this female from some strange land in South Dakota that had two kids that convinced her son to marry her. I was There was some, you know, ulterior motive there of some sort. Um, and then my parents, my mom loved James. She absolutely loved him. My my dad and I were not very close. Um, so he, it's not that he didn't accept him. It's just, I mean, he, he, he was fine with it. He didn't have a problem with it. It's just that we did not have a very a close relationship, not because we were angry at each other. It's just a repressed Midwestern strange relationship that we had. So as far as family is concerned, I mean, we have been pretty blessed. I mean, it was a little rocky in the beginning with with his mother and things like that, but that has all turned around in in 31 years. His mother is my mother in love is the best, most loving person on the face of the earth, and we have a fantastic relationship now. Um, I love his sisters as if they were my own. My brothers, you know, again, it's an odd, repressed Midwestern relationship, so you know they love James in their own odd way. <laughs> but we have not had a lot of real family issues with it, um, so we've been blessed in that way. We've also been blessed that we haven't had any real societal issues as well as far as our interracial relationship is concerned. We've, we've been blessed with that. One of the other questions is how did our relationship evolve over the years? I think we, like with any young married couple, you know, we struggled in the beginning. Um, but early on, we established some boundaries that help as far as being able to um, argue and fight in an appropriate way. Uh, well, that was something we established even before we got married. Well, but the word, the divorce word is something that was never, We one time it was brought up by me, um, not in a serious manner, but just because I was angry. And we quickly established that that word would never be brought up again, and it never was. And so I think we, we've evolved with because we we learned about each other we we struggled with how we argued um, because I am a person who used to be a person who wanted to be able to finish an argument from beginning to end and James is a person who needs a bit of time to process and calm down to avoid saying things that he doesn't really mean and so he asked can you because he would say he initially he would say I'm not talking about this anymore and he would literally stop talking to me for like hours and because of my my abandonment issues, that was a huge trigger for me and it caused me great anxiety. And so we came to the conclusion that James would say, I can't do this right now. Give me X number of time. And I was okay with that because I knew that once that X number of time came to point, came to the end that we could then move forward in right. the conversation or the discussion or the argument or whatever, however we wanted to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we came up with the rules early on in a relationship that, you know, I need some time, but I, I can't just have a blank check. 
a right. good place when we're going to pick up this um, discussion. So um, something that must be understood here is that I am a graduate of the Ellis School of Sarcasm, and um, Donna is a graduate of the School of Passive-Aggressive. So when before we established the rules, things got, you know, kind of nasty, ugly. <laughs> Yes. You know, in discussions. And hurtful. Yes. So we decided to set those two diplomas aside in favor of, one, giving some person time, and two, the other person not going into hyperbole or going into sarcastic, you know, just say what you feel truthfully. So that's worked out. I think another big factor in how the relationship has evolved is um, one day I, I really realized I wanted my relationship with Donna to be a success. How am I going to do that? Of course, I had the benefit of my, my parents' relationship. That's something that Donna didn't really have to fall back on her parents' example, but I did on mine. But I am naturally a student. I like to study things and get a book. So if it's important to me, I want to at least read up on it. I got a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Mm. And it was one of the most eye-opening books ever in my life. That, that really, I knew that there were differences in men and women, but this opened the door as to the psychological and emotional differences and the training that society puts on us, on each sex, men and women, on how to handle things. And lesson number one, for me that I read from the book was women don't always want their problems to be fixed. They want you to hear what their problem is. It's more important to understand what they're going through than to fix it. Us guys are fixers. We say, okay, we got a problem, we got to solve it, we move on to the next problem. So I I ran an experiment using this book, you know, Donna comes home from work or whatever, and it didn't matter that I was reading straight from the, I had the book in my hand. She knew that I was cheating by using this book. But um, it didn't matter. The matter, number one, was I was making an effort. And that's number two, what mattered the most. Yeah. I don't care if he had the book. That, I don't care if he had the author of the book. I don't care if he had a psychiatrist sitting next to him going, feeding him things to say or, or tasks to do. It, the, the effort that he was making, the physical, emotional, mental effort that he was making meant everything in the world. Yeah. So I was actually making an effort and she was so happy, even though I didn't do anything to change her day. I oh. didn't do anything to change her circumstance. It was still a crappy day. She was going to have to go back to where she was working at the time. I don't know if it was Shoney's or whatever. There's a whole Shoney story that we got to tell you later. But um, the fact matter is that I cared and cared enough to ask her, you know, what's going on and try to empathize, not sympathize, empathize with her situation. So that worked out a lot. And the other book, too, that, that is very similar to the Men Are From Mars, Women Are For Venus is Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same concept and the same psychology behind it, but it's more of a comical read. Both of those books will we'll, uh, reference in the, um, when we post this, we'll reference those two books. But it is absolute, those two books are absolute, I think every married, young married couple, old married couple, anybody in a relationship should read those two books. And also, whether you're a Christian or not. Not the five love languages. Yes, a very important book to read because, yes. and it and it helps you too. Not just it doesn't just help the other person. It helps you to understand who you are and how how you receive things. Those three books, I think, are absolutely like they need to be given to every person who's any kind of in any kind of a relationship. Because even if it's not a a romantic relationship or a, 
or like that, but just any kind of a relationship. Those three books are very, very helpful. Yes, they were they were key. And uh, just to touch on the the second two books, just for a moment, the waffles and spaghetti thing. Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. You think of a plate of spaghetti, and you look at each individual noodle. Just about every noodle is touching every other noodle. You know, there's contact all over the place. And that's how most most women most women's of course the exceptions to every rule, but most women's minds work like that. There's no there's no separation, you know. There's things everything's touching something else. Guys, we like to open a box, examine the box, close the box, and move on to the next box. So if you have a box open and says, "Oh, I think I'd like to get romantic tonight," oh, that's not happening. Close that box. Move right. over to another box. And um, knowing that. And nothing is touch. Nothing. Nothing. There's no syrup that oozes into the little other little crevice of the waffle because all the little walls of the waffle keep everything in place. Right. Because to a guy's mind, getting romantic tonight box has nothing to do with did I fix the ceiling fan box. Where with a woman, they're very much connected. Or if so, you have small children, it has nothing to do with the fact that your baby that you're breastfeeding and making your breast sore and you're cranky because you haven't slept for three days except for maybe two hours has nothing to do with the fact that I want to get romantic tonight. Your husband doesn't get that. He could have been up all night with the baby too, but he's like, well, I'm up. I might as well have sex. Yeah. I it, mean, but that's not how a woman, not all women, not all men. Yeah, but in not general, all men, we're talking not generality. All women. Yeah. So, yeah, with guys, it's like, anytime's the right time. Right. So, and on the, the third book, The Love Languages, what really gave me insight is to find out that my wife's love language is acts of service. So I tell her I love her every day, and it means something. Don't get me wrong. It, I know it means something, but it doesn't mean as much as cleaning the toilet. That's right. It doesn't mean as much as taking out the trash, okay? so There is nothing sexier to me, women, nothing sexier to me than when my husband scrubs the kitchen floor and cleans the kitchen. And when I say clean the kitchen, I don't mean just doing the dishes. I mean wiping down the counters, wiping down the stove, making sure the handles of the refrigerator are clean, putting all the dishes away, scrubbing the kitchen. Nothing is sexier than that. You hear that, guys? That's the key to opening one of them boxes, okay? So yeah, that's right. Find out because if, if that's your wife's love language, you need to get the work. Now, the other five, the other four love languages, we might not go into detail, but let me say on one of them, is gifts. Now, the fact that you you don't have to spend a lot of money with this love language is not the fact that the Sometimes gift costs... Sometimes less money that's more important. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It's not the amount of money that you spent, but the fact that you thought of her and said she would like this and gave it to her. It could be origami that you folded yourself out of a plain piece of paper and you give it to her with a note or something. That's a gift. For some women and even men, that's a love language that you have to tap into. Now, Donna, what is your husband's love language? It is physical touch. Right. So for me just, uh, let's say we're sitting in the car doing a road trip. If I reach over and hold his hand, he loves that. Or if we're walking down the street, he loves for me to hold his hand or, you know, to give him a kiss, you know, in public, you know, PDA. And I'm not talking like get a room PDA. I'm just talking about like a kiss on the cheek or a peck on the lips or something like that. He loves physical touch. And I also know that these and have experienced for myself that these love languages you have you have a um, a major love language, and then you have underlying ones that you also. So it's not just one thing, right? But 
and they also can change with seasons of life. So, you know, understand that too. You, there's a little quiz that you take and um, and you can take that quiz as many times as you want throughout your life. And, and things change a little bit throughout the years because we, we as humans, if we're, if we're living life correctly, we're changing throughout the years. And so things, those things kind of things can change too. And again, I have to emphasize that not all women, not all men, right. not all men, not all women. These are. This is not a set in stone. This is how it is because I can be a fixer too. I mean, there's times when James is telling me about something, and I'm like, well, what about or what about? And he'll be like, I don't need you to fix it. So it's understand that this is not anything set in stone. Right. Exactly. So, but for my part, as far as the love language is my, I don't think mine has changed. I don't think so either. Over either. a few decades. So maybe when we're in our nineties, you know, we'll change over to <laughs> maybe. something. Else. Maybe I don't. I don't think so. I think that's who we are. Okay. So. Um, did we cover everything? I think I'm getting ready to look at the last look. Let me see what the other question was here. I don't think there was. Uh, oh, I think there was something said about um, being an interracial couple. How, how, how has it like, changed being an interracial couple over the years? Okay. I can tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of silence on my part because I'm just totally mind and deaf uh, blind uh, on this subject because I really don't care what other people think a lot. And especially in public, you have to, you know, actually grab me and say you have an objection for me to even notice. If <laughs> you got a problem with right. the fact that I'm walking around with somebody that's not my color, I don't care. But my wife, who is hyper-observant, I would say, she should be a private detective, has maybe noticed things. I've noticed a few things, looks here and there, that kind of thing. But we've always been, I mean, listen, we were married a year before we moved to North Carolina. And I'm not saying that North Carolina is a completely racist state or anything like that. But, you know, we were in the South as an interracial couple. So we were very careful about places that we went and, and things like that. So we, we really haven't ever experienced anything very negative. I mean, one time we were walking in the mall and there was this, these two old ladies that were walking. Remember? They were walking. They Like, we were walking down the mall and they were coming towards us and I, they were looking at us like, and they just had that look on their face and they were like talking to each other and they just had this look of disgust on their face. And they walking towards us and they got right next to us and I just looked at them. Like, I just, right dead in the eye, I just looked at them. And then they just kept walking. And I looked over my shoulder, and they were looking over their shoulders and talking. And James turned around and did this big noise and this big scary face, and <laughs> they didn't know what to do. They just, you know, but that, other than that, I think the biggest thing for us has been with our kids, because my daughter is white, our daughter is white, our son is mixed, he's but he looks like a, a black guy. Society sees him as a black guy. Um, so, but when they were little, when, and now we have grandchildren that are both black and white. And when James is out in public with just one of the white children, it can be a little unnerving because people can be very assumptive, negatively yeah. assumptive. They can be Karen. -ish. Yes, very Karen. -ish. Yeah, no, so no, no disrespect to any people with the real name Karen. On yeah. well, but we know what that is. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I was going to kick in and say that although we haven't had anything really negative confront us, it has been a source of great material for comedy. Yeah. Because I remember specifically one time, our, our daughter Carmen, who is what somebody would say white upon looking at her, mm -hmm. well, she has, a, she has a son, Aaron, who looks as white as a white American can. And when he was a little boy, and I would take him to the mall by myself, and it was time to go, and he didn't feel like going, he started yelling, I want my mommy, I don't want to go, I don't want to go with you. That doesn't look like a kidnapping at all. <laughs> Have a big black man pulling out a little white child who's screaming for his mommy, and that he doesn't want to go with him. 
it's amazing that I have not earned any jail time with that. But, <laughs> or at least sitting in the back of a police car. Yeah, exactly. So some, some explanations are, can we call his mommy, please? Because <laughs> she will vouch for me. Now, it's, I've never got actually gotten in trouble for that, but I was thinking in the back of my mind, oh, my God, what if? Right, right. You know? Um, the only time that ever happened to me was before uh, I met James. I was at the mall at the mall in South Dakota with both of my kids, and Daniel, my son, was probably a year and a half old, something like that, and he was climbing up. We were sitting in the lobby-like area of the mall, and my son was climbing up on stuff and doing stuff he hadn't wasn't supposed to be doing. And there was this lady that was sitting on the benches near us, and he was not doing what he was supposed to do. So I popped him on his leg to make him, you know, get his attention and what have you. And she leaned over to me and she said, "Do you really think you should be spanking other people's children?" <laughs> And I looked at her and I said, first of all, if I am taking care of someone else's children, I'm going to discipline them the way I need to discipline them with the permission of the parent. And second of all, this is my child, lady, so you just need to mind your business. <laughs> and she started to argue with me. And my daughter, who was, I don't know, she was six or seven at the time, said, this is my brother. Leave her alone. <laughs> and that, that that was the worst thing that ever really happened. So we we've, we've been very 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 blessed, very blessed with um we have our children really haven't had any issues. We haven't had any issues even though I know it happens. That doesn't diminish the fact that it does not happen out there in society and especially, you know, in the last few years more so than the society, but we have been extremely blessed. Right. Definitely. All right. So I think we can, you know, wind it down now. We've covered, you know, some interesting topics about us and our history and relationships. So those questions did come from a listener. So if any of you listeners have any uh, suggestions or want our opinions, which mean absolutely nothing, but if you'd like to hear our opinions on a subject, a a current event, or a, a an idea or anything like that, or if you have any questions for us specifically, individually or as a couple, uh, we'll be glad to address them. You can, you know, ask in the comments wherever this podcast is posted, and we'll do our best to address whatever questions or, you know, ideas you all have. Yeah, we are both newbies to this uh, world of podcasting. I know that there's a way for us to be able to allow you to make some uh, voice comments you know, to be able to submit, oh, yeah. you know, questions in that way. I'll be trying to figure that out. In the meantime, there should be a way for you to leave, you know, typed in comments. Either way, we'd like to hear from you. That's all for this episode. Come back next time for more shenanigans.